In about the year 50 A.D., the Apostle Paul entered Thessalonica, and he preached the gospel to the people in that populous city in Macedonia. Located on the western side of the Chalcidic Peninsula, at the head of what today is known as the Gulf of Salona, it possessed a splendid natural harbor with full access to the Aegean Sea. On its northern and western sides was a broad alluvial plain produced by the twin rivers Vardar and Vestriza. Thessalonica was also located on a major road in the Roman system which linked the city with many major Macedonian cities and markets. This major highway facilitated the movement of troops, information, and goods, but also became the pathway for Paul, Silas, and Timothy to bring the good news of Christ into this great city. The city was essentially Greek in character, but there was a large Jewish population. Paul came into Thessalonica, and he first made contact with Jews. It says, But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. I read that from Acts 17, verses 5 through 7. Paul went on to Berea and then to Athens, but he had planted the seed in Thessalonica before the riot, and the new disciples in that city carried on the work of the Lord in a circumstance of fierce adversity and persecution. The apostle always felt keenly the perils facing new disciples and young churches. So he would go back and visit them if he could, or he would send Timothy, or he would write a letter. During Paul's second missionary journey, he wrote two letters to the saints at Thessalonica. And in this study, I want us to consider some things about these disciples in First and Second Thessalonians. I believe it will do us some good to consider six things the Thessalonians did. Six things the Thessalonians did. It will be good for you to have your Bible ready, First and Second Thessalonians, and perhaps pen and paper. Six things the Thessalonians did. Number one, they received the word. Notice in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6, and then after that in chapter 2, verse 13. Paul said, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, 
but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. In both passages, there is this word, received, which means to listen to a message, then to embrace it, to accept the message brought by the messengers. Paul and his co-workers brought a message from God to these people, and they embraced that message. They received the word, even though it was in much affliction, and they welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Paul, Silas, Timothy arrived in Thessalonica, and there was no church there. When they left, the church had been planted and had taken root. How did this happen? The planting of the church was the direct result of the preaching of the gospel and the reception people gave to that message. And you will agree the same process ought to be going on today. The same message preached by Paul needs to be preached today, and it needs to be taken to places where there are no Christians, no churches, and people who hear this message need to receive it in spite in spite of any persecution it may bring, regardless of how friends and neighbors and family react, the gospel needs to be heard, believed, and obeyed, welcomed not as the word of men, but as the word of God. But not only did these people in Thessalonica hear and believe this message, not only did they accept and embrace it, Number two, they turned to God, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9. Paul says of them in verse 9 of chapter 1, they turned to God from idols. What a change of allegiance is implied here. What a radical revolution in their thinking and their living. They turned to God from idols. This was the effect the message had upon those who received it. Let me say that idols are dead, God is living. Idols are false, God is true. Idols are many, God is one. Idols are visible and tangible, God is invisible and intangible. Idols are the work of human hands, God is the creator of the universe and of all humankind. Idols cannot save, cannot lead, cannot offer any hope. God, through his beloved Son, can save, lead, and turn every promise he makes into reality. They heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel, and there was this radical change of their allegiance, turning from idols to the living and true God. What is it that has a hold over your mind? your heart and life, some specific sin you've struggled with for years? Is there a tendency or attitude or temperament that seems to keep you from full fellowship with God? What is it that has a hold over your mind, your heart, and your life? For these people, it was the sin of idolatry with all the corresponding evils that accompany that way of life. But they heard the word of God they received it, and thus they realized the power to turn from that sin to the living 
and true God. The gospel has the same power today if you will open your heart and your life to God, to the gospel of Christ. Whatever has a hold on you can be destroyed, and you can turn to God. They received the word. They turned from idols to God. And number three, they sounded forth the word. I'm at 1 Thessalonians 1 in verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Can we take a moment and look at that word sounded? The Greek word occurs nowhere else in the New Testament, according to lexicographers I've consulted. And it is derived from the word E-C-H-O-S. Does that sound like anything? E-C-H-O-S, which means a noise or sound which is repeated. You know what we're talking about? Echo. The gospel message received by the Thessalonians was proclaimed by the Thessalonians. It made a loud noise. It echoed. It reverberated through the hills and valleys of Greece. Their faith in God was spread abroad in every place. You know, I firmly believe we should harness to the service of the gospel every modern medium of communication available to us. The telephone, the television, the radio, the computer, the internet, printed media, public meetings, mail, social media, text messages, we should use in the service of the gospel every modern medium of communication legitimately available to us. And in principle, nobody quarrels with this ambition. Nevertheless, it should occur to us some of the oldest and simplest methods are still effective in reaching people and may in some cases be more effective than our modern methods. The Thessalonians had no telephones, televisions, radios, no computers to log into the Internet, just person-to-person contact. I was reading one time where a man called this holy gossip. Have you heard what has happened to so-and-so? Did you know that such a such a person has left idolatry and changed his life? Something extraordinary is going on in Thessalonica. There's a new group, new group of people. They're being baptized into Christ, and they're following Christ. And I don't have any doubt these individual Christians were telling their friends and neighbors these things about this powerful message that had changed their lives. But I fear with all of our affairs, and we wouldn't, wouldn't want to say anything to our neighbors that would hurt their feelings, or with the people we work with, so religious discussions cause such tension, we just leave them off. And, and so there are a lot of people with whom we associate with daily, and they are lost, and we need to talk to them about what saved us. These new disciples at Thessalonica heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel. They left their old religion, turned to God, and they made noise. Not violence, noise, which seemed to echo or reverberate through the hills and valleys of Greece.
but also, number four, they suffered. Listen again in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 2.14, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. Apparently, there was considerable opposition to the gospel in Thessalonica. And where there is opposition to the gospel, there is suffering for those who obey it, preach it, and live by it. When you preach the gospel, not denominational religion or evangelical creeds, when you open the New Testament and preach the gospel, it almost always arouses some hostility, disagreement. It challenges human pride and self-indulgence, the gospel. The opposition may take different forms in different times and cultures and places, but when you preach the word, there's opposition. Paul told Timothy, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The Thessalonians received the word in much affliction. There had been a great display of enmity toward the brethren in Judea. Paul told the Thessalonians, you are similar to them. Not only in faith and practice, but in suffering, you have suffered from your own countrymen the same things those Judean churches suffered from the Jews. The more we preach the gospel, the more criticism and hostility there will be. The more we speak out, the greater our dedication to the teaching of Christ and the bolder we are in denouncing sin, the greater will be the potential for conflict. But Jesus made us a promise. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Number five, about the Thessalonians, they loved each other. Let me show you three times where this is brought up. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. Paul said, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. When we read both 1 and 2 Thessalonians, there isn't any doubt there were some problems in that church. No doubt about that. 
there were some people very confused about the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ. Some had been deceived and others were in danger of being deceived. Also, there was a group of idlers, for lack of a better term. For whatever reason, some had given up their work. They were not following instructions from Christ given through the apostles about work and responsibility, and these idlers were taking advantage of working Christians. Paul had some stern words for those in that disobedient minority. There were problems in that church, and in the third chapter of the second letter, Paul commanded them to withdraw from the disorderly. There were problems in that church, but there was love. To love our brothers and sisters, John said, is an indispensable sign that we have passed from death to life. 1 John 3.14 Though there were problems in the Thessalonian congregation and though some rather stern measures had to be taken in withdrawing from the disorderly, there was love. Love prompts you to deal with disorderly members. Problems challenge us, controversy tests our faith, but also our love. Sin that requires a withdrawal of fellowship cannot be ignored, but even that act of discipline must be carried out in love. I don't know of any passage in the New Testament that tells me to stop loving my brother. I am to rebuke the one guilty of sin, Luke 17, 3. As a congregation, we withdraw from the disorderly and mark false teachers. In regard to those who have been withdrawn from, there is a prohibition not even to eat with such a person. So we deal with sin and error. We are taught that in the New Testament, but we never stop loving our brother. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Then number six, they edified one another. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 15. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. When a local church conducts itself in keeping with the teachings of Christ in the New Testament, it is a place where Christians are informed, built up, and edified. In our teaching and preaching, but also in the mutual help and encouragement and admonishment that takes place in that family kind of relationship, we edify one another. When a local church operates according to the New Testament under the head, Jesus Christ, this is one result. It is a place and a relationship where Christians are informed, built up, and edified. Notice quickly in this text five things. 
the admonition of qualified elders. We are to esteem these men very highly in love for their work's sake. Number two, warnings given to the unruly. Verse 14, warn those who were unruly. That's an act of love. Romans 15, 14, Paul told the saints at Rome, you were able to admonish one another. Number three, comfort the faint-hearted. Sometimes a person hasn't fallen away from God altogether. They've not embraced error or given themselves over to a life of sin. They're faint-hearted. One translation said those who are anxious, sometimes we are encumbered by worry over threats or problems. We need the comfort. We need the care of other Christians. Strengthen the weak. Some may be weak spiritually and morally or in regard to knowledge. They are weak, and we need to support and strengthen those who are weak. Romans 15.1, we who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And number five, patience. Be patient with everyone. Some may be unruly, others faint-hearted or weak. Be patient with everyone as you respond to their needs. And number six, the pursuit of good toward all. Verse 15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. So this is about the edification we are all a part of as we relate to one another in the local church. Warn those who were unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient toward all. The idea behind this sermon is to observe the verbs, which is to say the activity of the Thessalonians. I want you to notice with me now, the gospel came to their city. They received, they turned, they sounded forth the word, they suffered, they loved, they edified each other. Why would it be any different with us? Of course it shouldn't. If we have received the word of God as they did, if we have turned from sin to God as they did, we should be engaged to the limits of our ability in the sounding forth of the word, ready to suffer as they did. We should not let anything cause us to stop loving one another, and we should pursue what is good both for ourselves and for all. You can welcome the word of God into your life, and you can turn from sin to God because of what Jesus did. Thank you for listening.